0: Chapter One of The Death of Ivan Ilyich. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Laurie Ann Walden. The Death of Ivan Ilich by Leo Tolstoy. Translated by Constance Garnett. Chapter One. Inside the great building of the law courts, during the interval in the hearing of the Melvinsky case, the members of the Judicial Council and the public prosecutor were gathered together in the private room of Ivan Yegorovitch Shebek, and the conversation turned upon the celebrated Krasovsky case. Fyodor Vasilievitch hotly maintained that the case was not in the jurisdiction of the court. Yegor Ivanovitch stood up for his own view. But from the first, Pyotr Ivanovitch, who had not entered into the discussion, took no interest in it, but was looking through the newspapers which had just been brought in. "'Gentlemen,' he said, "'Ivan Ilyich is dead.' "'You don't say so.' "'Here, read it,' he said to Fyodor Vasilievich, handing him the fresh, still damp-smelling paper. "'Within a black margin was printed,' Praskovia Fyodorovna Golovina, with heartfelt affliction, informs friends and relatives of the decease of her beloved husband, member of the Court of Justice, Ivan Ilyich Golovine, who passed away on the 4th of February. The funeral will take place on Thursday at 1 o'clock. Ivan Ilyich was a colleague of the gentleman present, and all liked him. It was some weeks now since he had been taken ill. His illness had been said to be incurable. His post had been kept open for him, but it had been thought that in case of his death Alexiev might receive his appointment, and either Vinikov or Stabel would succeed to Alexiev's. So that on hearing of Ivan Ilyich's death, the first thought of each of the gentlemen in the room was of the effect this death might have on the transfer or promotion of themselves or their friends. "'Now I am sure of getting Stabel's place or Vinikov's,' thought Fyodor Vasilievich. It was promised me long ago, and the promotion means eight hundred rubles additional income, besides the grants for office expenses. "'Now I shall have to petition for my brother-in-law to be transferred from Kaluga,' thought Pyotr Ivanovich. "'My wife will be very glad. She won't be able to say now that I've never done anything for her family.' "'I thought somehow that he'd never get up from his bed again,' Pyotr Ivanovich said aloud. "'I'm sorry,' "'But what was it exactly that was wrong with him?' "'The doctors could not decide. "'That's to say, they did decide, but differently. "'When I saw him last, I thought he would get over it. "'Well, I positively haven't called there ever since the holidays. "'I've kept meaning to go.' "'Had he any property?' "'I think there's something very small of his wife's, "'but something quite trifling.' "'Yes, one will have to go and call.' They live such a terribly long way off. A long way from you, you mean. Everything's a long way from your place. There, he can never forgive me for living on the other side of the river, said Pyotr Ivanovitch, smiling at Shebek. And they began to talk of the great distances between different parts of the town, and went back into the court. Besides the reflections upon the changes and promotions in the service likely to ensue from this death, the very fact of the death of an intimate acquaintance excited in every one who heard of it as such a fact always does a feeling of relief that it is he that is dead and not i only think he is dead but here am i all right each one thought or felt the more intimate acquaintances, the so-called friends of Ivan Ilyich, could not help thinking, too, that now they had the exceedingly tiresome social duties to perform of going to the funeral service and paying the widow a visit of condolence. The most intimately acquainted with their late colleague were Fyodor Vasilievich and Pyotr Ivanovitch. Pyotr Ivanovitch had been a comrade of his at the school of jurisprudence and considered himself under obligations to Ivan Ilich. Telling his wife at dinner of the news of Ivan Ilyich's death, and his reflections as to the possibility of getting her brother transferred into their circuit, Pyotr Ivanovich, without lying down for his usual nap, put on his frock-coat and drove to Ivan Ilyich's. At the entrance before Ivan Ilyich's flat stood a carriage and two hired flies. Downstairs in the entry near the hat-stand there was, leaning against the wall, a coffin lid with tassels and braiding freshly rubbed up with pipe-clay. Two ladies were taking off their cloaks. One of them he knew, the sister of Ivan Ilyich. The other was a lady he did not know. Pyotr Ivanovitch's colleague, Schwartz was coming down, and from the top stair, seeing who it was coming in, he stopped and winked at him, as though to say, Ivan Ilyitch has made a mess of it. It's a very different matter with you and me. Schwartz's face, with his English whiskers and all his thin figure in his frock coat, had, as it always had, an air of elegant solemnity. And this solemnity, always such a contrast to Schwartz's playful character, had a special piquancy here, so thought Pyotr Ivanovitch. Pyotr Ivanovitch let the ladies pass on in front of him and walked slowly up the stairs after them. Schwartz had not come down but was waiting at the top. Pyotr Ivanovitch knew what for. He wanted, obviously, to settle with them where their game of screw was to be that evening. The ladies went up to the widow's room, while Schwartz, with his lips tightly and gravely shut, and amusement in his eyes, with a twitch of his eyebrows, motioned Pyotr Ivanovitch to the right, to the room where the dead man was. Pyotr Ivanovitch went in, as people always do on such occasions, in uncertainty as to what he would have to do there. One thing he felt sure of, that crossing oneself never comes amiss on such occasions. As to whether it was necessary to bow down while doing so, he did not feel quite sure, and so chose a middle course. On entering the room, he began crossing himself, and made a slight sort of bow. So far as the movements of his hands and head permitted him, he glanced while doing so about the room. Two young men, One, a high school boy, nephews probably, were going out of the room, crossing themselves. An old lady was standing motionless, and a lady, with her eyebrows queerly lifted, was saying something to her in a whisper. A deacon in a frock coat, resolute and hearty, was reading something aloud with an expression that precluded all possibility of contradiction. A young peasant who used to wait at table, Garasim, walking with light footsteps in front of Pyotr Ivanovich, was sprinkling something on the floor. Seeing this, Pyotr Ivanovich was at once aware of the faint odor of the decomposing corpse. On his last visit to Ivan Ilyich, Pyotr Ivanovich had seen this peasant in his room. He was performing the duties of a sick nurse, and Ivan Ilyich liked him particularly. Pyotr Ivanovitch continued crossing himself and bowing in a direction intermediate between the coffin, the deacon, and the holy pictures on the table in the corner. Then, when this action of making the sign of the cross with his hand seemed to him to have been unduly prolonged, he stood still and began to scrutinize the dead man. The dead man lay, as dead men always do lie, in a peculiarly heavy dead way his stiffened limbs sunk in the cushions of the coffin, and his head bent back forever on the pillow, and thrust up, as dead men always do, his yellow waxen forehead with bald spots on the sunken temples, and his nose that stood out sharply and, as it were, squeezed on the upper lip. He was much changed, even thinner since Pyotr Ivanovitch had seen him, but his face, as always with the dead, "'was more handsome and, above all, more impressive than it had been when he was alive. "'On the face was an expression of what had to be done having been done, and rightly done. "'Besides this, there was, too, in that expression, a reproach or a reminder for the living. "'This reminder seemed to Pyotr Ivanovitch uncalled for, or at least to have nothing to do with him. "'He felt something unpleasant.' and so Pyotr Ivanovitch once more crossed himself hurriedly, and, as it struck him, too hurriedly, not quite in accordance with the proprieties, turned and went to the door. Schwartz was waiting for him in the adjoining room, standing with his legs apart and both hands behind his back playing with his top hat. A single glance at the playful, sleek, and elegant figure of Schwartz revived Pyotr Ivanovitch. He felt that he, Schwartz, was above it and would not give way to depressing impressions. The mere sight of him said plainly, The incident of the service over the body of Ivan Ilyich cannot possibly constitute a sufficient ground for recognizing the business of the session suspended. In other words, in no way can it hinder us from shuffling and cutting a pack of cards this evening, while the footman sets four unsanctified candles on the table for us in fact there is no ground for supposing that this incident could prevent us from spending the evening agreeably he said as much indeed to pyotr ivanovitch as he came out proposing that the party should meet at fyodor Vassilievich's. but apparently it was pyotr ivanovitch's destiny not to play screw that evening Praskovya fyodorovna a short fat woman who, in spite of all efforts in a contrary direction, was steadily broader from her shoulders downwards, all in black, with lace on her head and her eyebrows as queerly arched as the lady standing beside the coffin, came out of her own apartments with some other ladies, and, conducting them to the dead man's room, said, "'The service will take place immediately. Come in.' Schwartz, making an indefinite bow, stood still, obviously neither accepting nor declining this invitation. Praskovya Fyodorovna, recognizing Pyotr Ivanovitch, sighed, went right up to him, took his hand, and said, I know that you are a true friend of Ivan Ilyich's, and looked at him, expecting from him the suitable action in response to these words. Pyotr Ivanovitch knew that, just as before he had to cross himself, now what he had to do was to press her hand, to sigh and to say, Ah, I was indeed. And he did so. And as he did so, he felt that the desired result had been attained, that he was touched and she was touched. Come, since it's not begun yet, I have something I want to say to you, said the widow. Give me your arm, Pyotr Ivanovitch gave her his arm, and they moved towards the inner rooms, passing Schwartz, who winked gloomily at Pyotr Ivanovitch. So much for our screw. Don't complain if we find another partner. You can make a fifth when you do get away, said his humorous glance. Pyotr Ivanovitch sighed still more deeply and despondently, and Praskovya Fyodorovna pressed his hand gratefully. Going into her drawing-room, that was upholstered with pink cretonne and lighted by a dismal-looking lamp, they sat down at the table, she on a sofa and Pyotr Ivanovitch on a low ottoman with deranged springs which yielded spasmodically under his weight. Praskovya Fyodorovna was about to warn him to sit on another seat, but felt such a recommendation out of keeping with her position, and changed her mind. Sitting down on the ottoman, Pyotr Ivanovitch remembered how Ivan Ilyich had arranged this drawing-room, and had consulted him about this very pink cretonne with green leaves. Seating herself on the sofa, and pushing by the table—the whole drawing-room was crowded with furniture and things—the widow caught the lace of her black fichu in the carving of the table. Pyotr Ivanovitch got up to disentangle it for her, and the ottoman, freed from his weight, began bobbing up spasmodically under him. The widow began unhooking her lace herself, and Pyotr Ivanovitch again sat down, suppressing the mutinous ottoman springs under him. But the widow could not quite free herself, and Pyotr Ivanovitch rose again, and again the ottoman became mutinous and popped up with a positive snap. When this was all over, she took out a clean cambric handkerchief and began weeping. Pyotr Ivanovitch had been chilled off by the incident with the lace and the struggle with the Ottoman Springs, and he sat looking sullen. This awkward position was cut short by the entrance of Sokolov, Ivan Ilyich's butler, who came in to announce that the place in the cemetery fixed on by Praskovya Fyodorovna would cost two hundred roubles. She left off weeping, and with the air of a victim glancing at Pyotr Ivanovitch, said, in French, that it was very terrible for her. Pyotr Ivanovitch made a silent gesture, signifying his unhesitating conviction that it must indeed be so. "'Please smoke,' she said in a magnanimous and, at the same time, crushed voice, and she began discussing with Sokolov the question of the price of the site for the grave. Pyotr Ivanovitch, lighting a cigarette, listened to her very circumstantial inquiries as to the various prices of sites and her decision as to the one to be selected. Having settled on the site for the grave, she made arrangements also about the choristers. Sokolov went away. "'I see to everything myself,' she said to Pyotr Ivanovitch, moving on one side the albums that lay on the table. And noticing that the table was in danger from the cigarette ash, she promptly passed an ash-tray to Pyotr Ivanovitch, and said, "'I consider it an affectation to pretend that my grief prevents me from looking after practical matters.' "'On the contrary, if anything could not console me, but distract me, "'it is seeing after everything for him.' "'She took out her handkerchief again, as though preparing to weep again, "'and suddenly, as though struggling with herself, "'she shook herself and began speaking calmly. "'But I've business to talk about with you.' "'Pyotr Ivanovitch bowed, carefully keeping in check the springs of the ottoman "'which had at once begun quivering under him.' The last few days, his sufferings were awful. "'Did he suffer very much?' asked Pyotr Ivanovitch. "'Oh, awfully! For the last moments, hours indeed, he never left off screaming. For three days and nights in succession, he screamed incessantly. It was insufferable. I can't understand how I bore it. One could hear it through three closed doors. Ah, what I suffered!' "'And was he really conscious?' asked Pyotr Ivanovitch. "'Yes,' she whispered, "'up to the last minute. "'He said good-bye to us a quarter of an hour before his death, "'and asked Volodya to be taken away, too.' "'The thought of the sufferings of a man he had known so intimately, "'at first as a light-hearted boy, a schoolboy, "'then grown up as a partner at Whist, "'in spite of the unpleasant consciousness "'of his own and this woman's hypocrisy,' suddenly horrified Pyotr Ivanovitch. He saw again, that forehead, the nose that seemed squeezing the lip, and he felt frightened for himself. Three days and nights of awful suffering and death! Why, that may at once, any minute, come upon me, too, he thought, and he felt for an instant terrified. But immediately he could not himself have said how, there came to his support the customary reflection that this had happened to ivan ilyitch and not to him and that to him this must not and could not happen that in thinking thus he was giving way to depression which was not the right thing to do as was evident from schwartz's expression of face and making these reflections pyotr ivanovitch felt reassured and began with interest inquiring details about ivan ilyitch's end as though death were a mischance peculiar to ivan ilyitch but not at all incidental to himself. After various observations about the details of the truly awful physical sufferings endured by Ivan Ilyich, these details Pyotr Ivanovitch learned only through the effect Ivan Ilyich's agonies had had on the nerves of Praskovya Fyodorovna, the widow apparently thought it time to get to business. Ah, Pyotr Ivanovitch, how hard it is! How awfully, awfully hard! and she began to cry again. Pyotr Ivanovitch sighed and waited for her to blow her nose. When she had done so, he said, "'Indeed it is,' and again she began to talk, and brought out what was evidently the business she wished to discuss with him. That business consisted in the inquiry as to how on the occasion of her husband's death she was to obtain a grant from the government.' She made a show of asking Pyotr Ivanovitch's advice about a pension. But he perceived that she knew already, to the minutest details, what he did not know himself, indeed, everything that could be got out of the government on the ground of this death, but that what she wanted to find out was whether there were not any means of obtaining a little more. Pyotr Ivanovitch tried to imagine such means, but after pondering a little, and out of politeness, abusing the government for its stinginess, he said that he believed that it was impossible to obtain more. Then she sighed, and began unmistakably looking about for an excuse for getting rid of her visitor. He perceived this, put out his cigarette, got up, pressed her hand, and went out into the passage. In the dining-room, where was the bric-a-brac clock that Ivan Ilyich had been so delighted at buying, Pyotr Ivanovitch met the priest and several people he knew who had come to the service for the dead, and saw, too, Ivan Ilyich's daughter, a handsome young lady. She was all in black. Her very slender figure looked even slenderer than usual. She had a gloomy, determined, almost wrathful expression. She bowed to Pyotr Ivanovitch as though he were to blame in some way. Behind the daughter, with the same offended air on his face, stood a rich young man, whom Pyotr Ivanovitch knew too, an examining magistrate, the young lady's fiancé, as he had heard. He bowed dejectedly to him, and would have gone on into the dead man's room, when from the staircase there appeared the figure of the son, the high school boy, extraordinarily like Ivan Ilyich. He was the little Ivan Ilyich over again, as Pyotr Ivanovitch remembered him at school, his eyes were red with crying and had that look often seen in unclean boys of thirteen or fourteen. The boy, seeing Pyotr Ivanovich, scowled morosely and bashfully. Pyotr Ivanovitch nodded to him and went into the dead man's room. The service for the dead began. Candles, groans, incense, tears, sobs. Pyotr Ivanovitch stood frowning, staring at his feet in front of him. He did not once glance at the dead man, and right through to the end did not once give way to depressing influences, and was one of the first to walk out. In the hall there was no one. Garasim, the young peasant, darted out of the dead man's room, tossed over with his strong hand all the fur cloaks to find Pyotr Ivanovitch's, and gave it him. "'Well, Garasim, my boy,' said Pyotr Ivanovitch, so as to say something." A sad business, isn't it? "'It's God's will. We shall come to the same,' said Gerasim, showing his white, even peasant teeth in a smile, and, like a man in a rush of extra work, he briskly opened the door, called up the coachman, saw Pyotr Ivanovitch into the carriage, and darted back to the steps as though bethinking himself of what he had to do next.' Pyotr Ivanovitch had a special pleasure in the fresh air, after the smell of incense, of the corpse, and of carbolic acid. Where to? asked the coachman. It's not too late. I'll still go round to Fyodor Vassilievitch's. And Pyotr Ivanovitch drove there, and he did, in fact, find them just finishing the first rubber, so that he came just at the right time to take a hand. End of chapter 1